Hi all, welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. In each episode, I talk to women of all sorts about life and art in the South. Yeah, that's right. I'm starting with a slightly different and hopefully more descriptive tagline today, following the sage advice of podcaster Kaylin Butine, who runs Artist Mother Podcast. I was lucky enough to get a chance to talk podcast shop with Kaylin recently when she invited me to be on a panel of artists who are also mothers in Nashville on the occasion of Jody Hayes' solo exhibition called Tend at the Red Arrow Gallery. Jody, myself, and Mandy Rogers Horton all discussed how our roles as artists and mothers intersect, and the panel was moderated by Kaylin Butine and will be on her Artist Mother podcast shortly, so y'all should go ahead, give her a follow, and I hope you'll check that out when it's released. There's a link on the Peachy Keen page, and I'll give you more on how to access that at the end of this episode. So the Artist Mother panel was on a Saturday, and on Sunday morning, I met up with Nashville artist Virginia Griswold at her home studio. Virginia's work explores objects and artifacts as they express cyclical conflicts like making and unmaking, reading that from her artist statement right now. And her recent exhibitions that she's been in include the Building Bodies exhibition at the Appalachian Center for Craft in Smithville, Tennessee, Ugly Clay at the Elephant Gallery, and Waiting in the Wings at Mild Climate. Both of those were in Nashville. And Honey Crisp at the Neon Heater in Finley, Ohio. And for my Georgia listeners, you might have seen her work at the 2016 Atlanta Biennial at the Contemporary. Virginia Griswold is an associate professor of sculpture at Austin Peay State University, and she showed me some new work, shared her extensive expertise, and her story of how she's come to work in a variety of 3D mediums. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Check it out. Well, you were at the um, taping yesterday, right? Yes, I was. And I, did I talk to you yesterday after the taping? You know, I, I wanted to talk to you, but I think it was uh, there was a lot of milling about, and uh, I don't think I got a chance to talk to okay, you. Okay, because I knew, <laughs> like, afterwards, uh, yeah, there were so many people there, and then um, I... So when I was uh, looking at your website and stuff this morning, I saw a picture of you, and I was like, oh, she was at the taping yesterday, but I don't think I talked to her, and I remembered that you had said you were going to come up and talk to me, but I didn't know what you looked like until afterwards when I was looking on the web, and I saw a picture of you, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. She was there. I was there. It was awesome. (laughs) Good. (laughs) It was fun. Um, I was surprised how many people came out. There's a lot of artist mothers around here, apparently. There are. It's a really, um, uh, it's a great community of uh, women artists, artist mothers. Um, it's, it's, yeah, there's a, quite a few. And a lot of, um, I, I did some gallery hopping around Nashville yesterday after the panel. It seems like a lot of the galleries are women-owned, too, mm-hmm. or a substantial amount of them. Yeah, it's so um, I yeah. I mean, Red Arrow, obviously, um, and there's a lot of um, uh, artist-run spaces too that um, have a collaborative uh, approach of um, you know women and men uh, working together. So it's um, there's yeah, there's I think there's a good representation. How long have you been in Nashville? Uh, well, um, we've been in the region uh, since 2012. In 2012, I was hired as visiting faculty along with my husband at oh. uh, Austin Peay State University. Uh, and so we just expected to be there for one year and move on. Um, but the following year, I was uh, hired as tenure track faculty in sculpture. Oh, nice. So is he an artist too, your husband? Or? He is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's amazing that to, you, you hear about those mythical unicorn situations. <laughs> We're both, both partners uh, and a couple are able to get those jobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he ended up moving on after that year position at Austin P. ended up moving on to Watkins College of Art and Design and teaching there for a number of years. And then he uh, actually um, sort of changed his career completely to, um, now he's an application developer developer at Vanderbilt. Oh, okay. So, so that's three colleges in one <laughs> breath. Like, there's a lot of uh, colleges here. I, there are. I don't know. I started trying to list them to my husband last night on the phone because I was talking to so many different people and people were telling me where they taught and I was like, I've never even heard of this place. Um, it was a lot of uh, information. But Austin P. 
um, is not actually in Nashville, right? No, it's in it's Clarksville. In? Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, we were in Clarksville uh, initially in 2012. That's where we lived. Um, and so we moved to Nashville Metro in 2014. But we're on the wrong side of the city for Austin P, aren't we? Well, you know, actually it's, um, so east, but then I, I, to get to school, I, I head up on Briley and I sort of can cut past the city. It's a pretty quick it's like an hour under an hour yeah because there was a lot of traffic for a Saturday yesterday going around and I can imagine I have a commute like an hour and a half commute to my job um yeah so is that how long yours is about it's a, there it's about an hour and um but it's a reverse commute so okay. most people are coming into the city and I'm <laughs> leaving the city so okay. it's really it's, it's quite manageable yeah so you got I, I was looking at your um education history and uh, was a little bit confused because you studied in Maryland. Yes. But that's was that not for your undergrad? No, that was, was? Um, so I, I transferred. Um, okay. But I always feel like uh, my time at uh, the Maryland Institute College of Art was really crucial to my trajectory um, and where I ended up, so in terms of my practice. So um, for a long time I listed it on my uh, CV. Uh, just uh, because I started there um, as an undergraduate student studying fibers. Okay, so that's very interesting. And where were you coming from as a child? Where, was, where did you live when you were growing up? I lived in Petersburg, Virginia, which is just about 30 minutes south of Richmond, Virginia. Okay, and so you ended up getting your BFA back in Richmond mm -hmm. at Virginia Commonwealth. Yes. So what made you go to Maryland in the first place? That's a pretty big move. Yeah, um, I think to um, get a, as far away from the known um, sort of places that I'd been, I felt like, I think at the time, there's a lot of, especially as a high school student, there's a lot of uh, feelings of kind of uh, frustration at like sort of the, lim the limitations of my experience and the sort of uh, feeling tied to my family, tied to my background, tied to all of these things. And so I think going to uh, Baltimore was a way to kind of just uh, break away from those things. You thought it was far enough away enough that nobody would come visit you. It and you felt could be your far own enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. Um, so, what was your uh, family's response to you going to study art? Were you always into the arts? Was it a shock for them? Not at all. Okay. Uh, it was. Um, I think they knew that if I did not go to college to study art, that I may not go to college oh. at all. Um, so that was, uh, and also that they've, they've, I've come from a family, fortunately, that encourages uh, creative expression and has always, always supported uh, my work, as, even when I was in high school. and. Do you have siblings? Uh, I do. I have a brother. And your parents, are they artistically inclined? My parent, my parents, not exactly. My mother's a writer okay. or was, or was, you know, she's, that's something that she's done on the side in addition to teaching English um, on and off. Um, but uh, my father's an attorney, so okay. not necessarily <laughs> creative, but um, actually the women on my father's side um, were visual artists. So my aunt uh, was a painter, uh, got her graduate degree also from uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, and she went on to teach um, painting at a community college in, in the area of, of Petersburg. And then um, my grandmother was a painter also. Um, she would probably consider herself a hobbyist, mm -hmm. um, but she painted um, still life paintings, as well as um, copies of American primitive paintings. Huh. Um, so that, that was always really interesting. I grew up with these copies of these really famous, um, like the girl in the red dress. Uh -huh. um, so, so that was an interesting part of her, her life. That's really interesting. So are both of your parents from the Richmond area, their families? Mm -hmm. So you, can't, you were surrounded by this large family uh, supportive it sounds like and very interested in the arts that's mm -hmm. really amazing actually <laughs> um so you felt like you had uh a, what about your high school was it a did you not an art thing going on not there? really I, I went to two different high schools um the, my public school where I ended up graduating from um had you know art was sort of tangential it was an option it was an elective option that I would always take when I had the opportunity to take it um, and then went for uh, 
for one year, my junior year of high school, I spent at a private Catholic girls' school um, where I was able to take art, but it was very limited. Um, Just one year there? One year what there. Happened? Well, I begged my parents to send me <laughs> back to public school. Yeah. Uh, so, because, um, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, I think I had some a few uh, disciplinary issues in public school because because there was a lot of freedom uh, there that I didn't really have at um, at private Catholic school. Disciplinary um, issues, like leaving school. You I le- left school. <laughs> you escaped. Yes, my son I would is eight leave. years old and came home the other day and told me that he was planning an escape from school. <laughs> so you did it. People never believe uh, me because I'm <laughs> such a, a goody two shoes um, in my life now. But um, in that time in my life, uh, my parents were in the middle of like kind of a separation and headed toward divorce. So I just I think I wanted to you know kind of get out of whatever confines I found myself in so that's they sent you to catholic girls school after that because they were like this child is out of control i couldn't leave that school it was impossible you know there's mm-hmm. that was i was much un, like more under um supervision there so but but i convinced <laughs> them to send me back to public school because the art program was so much stronger in uh the public school than it was in the um the Catholic school. And so did you stay in house your senior year? I stayed in house. No, no, I stayed in house and I, um, I, you know, Mm -hmm. I really became committed to um, applying to art school and and making sure that I was on that trajectory. So that's brave. So you're doing this kind of stuff when you're like a sophomore. Yeah. You're getting in trouble. Yeah. I didn't have that kind of guts when I was a sophomore in high school. It was, you know, a lot of it was my friends at the time and peers and things like that. I don't know if I would have just left them of my own accord, (laughs) but. So then uh, you said you ended up in Maryland in fibers. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Because you've been exposed to painting. Like what was your, what was the impetus to study fibers? You know, um, it has to do with my foundations experience there, I think. Um, So the way that uh, foundations were structured at the time, this was like 1999, 2000, it was basically a sampling of the different um, disciplinary areas that they offer at the upper level. Um, And so who, the um, the woman Piper Shepherd, I took my, um, I think it was called, uh, introduction to sculpture or foundations 3d something like that and she was um a faculty member teaching primarily in sculpt in, in fibers okay um but she worked sculpturally with fibers so um large and, and larger scale installation based um work and i um there was just a really exciting energy around that uh program and that curriculum at the time um it was a lot a lot of women um and it was a lot of conversations around uh, fibers as a, um, you know, its relationship to craft, and and how and how that sort of related to um, feminist theory and things like that. So I, I was I was into it. Yeah, that's my my <laughs> forte too. So. Uh, was the program at large a lot of women, or just the fibers department? The fibers department. It was. Okay. Um, I would say, um, you know, not unlike uh, many art programs, it was. Uh, um, it wasn't all, it wasn't primarily women. There was a, a smattering of female faculty, mostly male faculty at the time, um, teaching in the art, um, in the art program. But um, yeah, so I think that Fibers felt like a interesting enclave of, of ideas. And you were getting that kind of uh, introduction to feminist theory that was coinciding with the use of materials while mm-hmm. you were doing it. And process and metaphor. Mm. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there was a lot of things that I was exposed to. Um, and, I, you know, I also I think I've, I just have a tendency toward tactile um, experiences and, and processes. And, um, and I think that, that it, it fed that um, interest and that need that I've had to work with my hands. So you were there for like two years, uh, like half of your... Yeah, I think I was there for a year and a half. Okay. I transferred in the middle, of, like the after the fall of my sophomore year, I transferred. And what made you want to transfer? Um, I I think it was just um, I've I've gone back and thought, you know, is it place or was it me? You know, um, to what extent was it um, not the right time for me to be in that place or um, was it not the right program for me? Um, I don't know, but I think that. Uh, I wasn't ready for Baltimore, and to, to, at the time I was living on my own um, in an apartment in Bolton Hill, and I was 19, and I was sort of going through a lot and processing a lot of things, and 
um, it it just uh, yeah I, I need I had a I remember having a really tough conversation with my dad one time visiting uh, home and and talking to him about how unhappy I was mm-hmm. and um, and he said well why don't you come why don't you come home you know um, another another co- uh, issue was how cost to be honest um the out-of-state tuition for a private arts school and the loans that we were taking out and um thinking about and vcu is a strong program you know so i had that option for in-state tuition and that was something that we were um was definitely on my family's mind at the time was you know like she's miserable and we're we're taking out a lot of money for her to be there so maybe we need to rethink do you think it was just the isolation of being in a big city was a lot of it yeah i think i was um yeah, I think it was, and also Baltimore was um, was a rough place in the late '90s, early 2000s. There was a lot of um, crime in my neighborhood. A lot of, um, uh, uh, I think people that were just struggling with drug addiction and things mm-hmm. like that. And I'm, I, I wasn't ready to like process a lot of that. Um, right. Yeah, going to parties and kids were um, in my in my college were, um, you know, hard drugs and just stuff that. I wasn't ready for. I didn't know how to handle. So yeah. when you made the switch uh, back to Richmond, did you move back in with your parents, or did you? St- for a brief period of time, I lived at home. I think it was. I just spent one semester at home, uh, and then I moved into an apartment on campus with um, some friends. So you'd already finished your foundations at this point, and you had to jump straight into a major. Is that what was happening? Yes. Um, and so, what major did you choose? Uh, there it was it was really hard to choose because uh, there was not the equivalent of a fibers uh, major at VCU at the time mm-hmm. um, they had um, their sculpture uh, curriculum which was and program which was really robust and, all, and in line with a lot of things that I was interested in they also had the craft slash material studies uh, curriculum which um, you know, I was really uh, interested in also <laughs> for, for different reasons. I mean, they both offered aspects of what I wanted uh, from my experience, uh, for my experience. So um, I remember just talking with my transfer advisor about where I belonged or where she thought I would fit. And she, she said, well, and I, I think at the time I really wanted to learn technique. Like I wanted to have instructional experiences with materials like I wanted to understand how to use materials because often when I'm exposed to a process or a technique and initially that after that initial exposure it, the ideas come mm-hmm. for how to either like incorporate that technique into the work or conceptually how I can um, maximize uh, the potential of that technique so um, so she said well we'll try craft so it was craft material studies, and then you could like focus in a craft area, mm-hmm. in a material like a material area, really. Okay. So what were the choices of the material? I saw this degree, and I was like, material studies. That's yeah. very interesting. So what were the materials that you could choose? Like, it, did you just take a general material studies class, and they introduced you to everything, or did you like take? You ended up kind of majoring in glass. Mm-hmm. So were there, was there glass, and then? Metalworking, or yeah, it was, it was like glass, metal, uh, textile, uh, clay, and wood. Okay. <laughs> so you think that you would go into textiles after having been in fiber? Yeah. But what made you go into glass instead? I think um, the faculty teaching in that area um, uh, went right. I so I had um, one year studying with um, uh, Rick Schneider, who's now moved on, um, and then right in kind of the middle of my I say first semester junior year um, Jack Wax was hired um, who was he was hired as tenure track faculty and I just remember really responding to his teaching Um, also glass is a really fascinating material and kind of terrifying material was a terrifying material to me at the time and I think sometimes I'm I'm sort of attracted to things that scare me Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and so that was uh, definitely part of it I remember the first glass class I took at VCU was a summer school um, course that was just an intensive three-week experience and I I remember coming home from the, the first or second day of class uh, of class where we had to 
work with the furnace and gather glass from this like 2000 degree furnace for the first time. And I came oh home gosh. from my lunch break and I told my roommates I was never going back. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to, you know, move forward with this class because it was so um, unnerving to work with this material. But um, I went back and I ended up really liking it. <laughs> yeah, my son is super, my 11 year old super into glass right now because of this blown away show. Oh yeah. Have yep. you watched them? Yes, I know. I know a few of them from my time when I was really? in New York. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's super exciting. <laughs> they're, they're famous. <laughs> they're famous. Um, and they're amazing. Um, you know, I, I, years ago, I think it was 2007, uh, I took a workshop at Pilchuck Glass School, and Alex Rosenberg was the TA for that class. And then Deborah Cheresco worked at Urban Glass for the five years that I was a tech there, and I was always just like so amazed uh, wow. by her. So that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, you. I mean, just looking at your CV and your bio online, you really have a heavy uh, education component. Like you've studied, you've studied at all these residencies. You've basically done a ton of assistantships is kind of what it looks like. In addition to going to two different schools in undergrad, and then you eventually got your MFA also in glass at Alfred. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. upstate New York? Yeah, sort of Western, uh, yeah, Western mm -hmm. New York. So in between going to grad school and graduating, that's when you were doing, you did a lot of residencies during that time. I saw you were in Brooklyn yep. at Urban Glass. What goes on there? So that, um, Urban Glass is an open access nonprofit glass studio in, in Brooklyn. So um, it is uh, uh, basically a place where glass artists can go um, and rent time to make their work. Okay. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I was a technician there. I worked so, as a studio tech. Okay, because I saw that you assisted for Yumi Corey, mm -hmm. and so and uh, Jaffa Lam. Am mm -hmm. I saying those yes. words correctly? Yeah. So they. So what was wonderful about my experience there is that there was a uh, visiting artist program where they would essentially invite artists to come and make their work. Mm -hmm. uh, and explore glasses and materials. So often these were artists that were coming from other disciplines who were interested in working with glass but didn't really oh. necessarily have like the technical. And you were the technical And person. I would be, yeah. And so, so I, it was wonderful because it was such a, uh, I learned so much from working with them. Mm -hmm. um, and then also inevitably they would have, their ideas would present challenges technically with the material that I hadn't encountered before. I would never think to, to like try on my own in my own practice. So. It was really, really, really great. <laughs> and so you're back in a city now. I lived in Brooklyn for like a decade. So where was this uh, glass uh, studio in Brooklyn? So Urban Glass is, is located um, in, uh, like on Fult off Fulton Street um, in, um, gosh, it's like uh, right downtown um, Brooklyn, kind okay. of like one stop away from Manhattan. So it's like Cabman Plaza right around there? Bam. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like on the edge of uh, Fort Greene. Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> so you after you graduate, did you just decide to move to Brooklyn? What happened there? How did you end up back in a big city? I um, yes, I I I, uh, I wanted to leave Richmond again. I <laughs> uh, I was working in a restaurant uh, and uh, making my work kind of in this little area of my par apartment at the time. And um, I had a friend uh, who um, was working as a studio tech at, at Urban Glass, and she said that they were hiring technicians. Um, oh. I should come up for an interview. Um, and I, I also had a friend who was doing something different um, professionally, but living in Harlem. So I went and stayed uh, with him and interviewed and um, was offered the position and said, okay. <laughs> wow. So you like, you came with a job. Yeah. That never happens. It never happens. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but um, yeah, so I had a job. It was, um, you know, a uh, uh, labor intensive job. Uh, you know, it was uh, required early hours and um, sometimes late hours. Um, it was very physically mm -hmm. um, rigorous. I was a very physical job, but um, I, I think it was it changed how I thought about myself as an artist. It's just working around um, uh, very inspiring people, just people and, and people with different ideas about um, art and sculpture and glass. 
And were you allowed to do your own work at this point too? So you were working for other people, but you were also creating your own work. Yes, there and was. There was. Um, I had access to the studio to mm-hmm. make my work, and I had a little bit of storage space, and I also had a. Uh, a wall in my studio apartment <laughs> that I used um, as a kind of a workspace. Um, nice. So yeah, it was it was it was a really great time. And how long were you doing that? I was there for about five years, um, from two thousand. Like I left from two thousand five through two thousand nine. Um, so like a little under five years. And then you started your MFA two years later. So what did you do in those interim years between starting your MFA and uh, and doing the Urban Glass? No, I went straight. Oh, you went straight from I there. went straight, yeah. So uh, when did you do all these residencies that you did? Uh, they were all over the place. Like um, you, and you went to Paris, but that was part of... That was after, okay. right after grad school. Okay. Um, trying to think of so the main residencies I've done um, I did yeah I went to Paris after graduate school I went to um, Iceland for a month in 2014 Um, I went to Hambage in 2015 okay so these were all after grad school that you started doing residencies Um, so what about your what made you want to go back to grad school you had all this technical knowledge you were meeting all of these artists and basically apprenticing anyway. Why did you feel like you needed an MFA? Did you want to teach? Yes. Okay. Um, so I started teaching workshops uh, at Urban Glass. That's another opportunity that I was afforded was to teach. Um, John West was the education director at the time, and he gave me uh, my first class, which I think was a weekend workshop in glass casting. And um, I found that I really, really loved to teach. Um, and. Uh, so that was a uh, major uh, factor in, in returning to school. Okay. Yeah. And then also, you know, I think that I've, I reached a point in New York where I felt like I couldn't seem to move my practice further that as, as where I wanted it to go, um, whether it was time or money. Uh, you know, I was working for a lot of other people, but I, re- I started to have less and less time to work for myself. Right. Uh, so I think that was, I think the... Yeah, well, that was the main reason why I wanted to get back. The, the financial crisis sort of hit right before I ended up going to graduate school. And I could see, like, that actually seemed to have a very direct effect on the arts. Um, there were less projects. There was less work. Uh, so I, I decided it would be a good time. Yeah, I was actually in New York um, at that time. Both of my kids were born uh, 2008, 2011 yeah. in New York. Um, and I had the same kind of experience where I felt like I was really absorbing a lot and learning a lot from other people's practices, but I didn't have the space or time to create my own work. I also worked in a um, 6th through 12th grade public school, so that was pretty consuming. You were a New York City teaching fellow. Did you? Yeah. You did that. Yes, I had friends that were in that program. Yeah. Um, And it was, yeah, I heard heard things. It was so intense. It was so intense, and I did it. I can't believe I did this, but I did it when I was pregnant, so... I went to um, like my second year of teaching, I think, and I was in grad school. I was pregnant with my son, and I graduated, and he was born like a week later. So like I was trekking in from Brooklyn to Manhattan with this giant belly, and I was so exhausted having taught middle school and high school all day long, and then go to take classes at night. I would like nap at Pace University, and they're like lobby yeah I was a big pregnant woman like just like completely snoring for like an hour before my classes it was crazy yeah that program was intense I saw you taught um at boys and girls club too I've also taught at a boys and girls club not in Brooklyn I did that in Athens I loved it um so they actually came to the studio they came to the glass studio okay um and I and I uh, assisted and worked with uh them to create uh small scale glass castings which was really so fun. what is a glass casting exactly so think about um, lost wax casting techniques okay. like what happens with metal uh, essentially a void is created and then uh, in, a, in a mold and then glass is um, like chunks of glass are placed into the mold placed into the kiln and then the kiln is heated to melting temperature you know somewhere around 1600 degrees so what do you use for a mold that doesn't 
Or did the mold is supposed to melt like the lost wax? It no, just actually, goes away. the the mold has to stay uh, structurally sound. If it doesn't, the glass sort of melts out of the mold and becomes a puddle on the floor of the kiln. Right. So we use, um, I mean, the simplest way is to use a 50-50 mixture of plaster, like po- regular pottery plaster, and uh, silica, oh. like round silica. And that will hold up. Uh, sometimes there's, uh, you know, engineering with other materials that you can use to make a mold stronger but that's a basic so the students at the boys and girls club what would they uh, make their pieces out of so they would um i think at the time we had them sculpt with clay Uh because that's a way of making a positive form and then uh, we worked with the uh, plaster material over the clay Um, and i think i'm sure that we mixed that that material for them because you wouldn't want them you know to be exposed to it necessarily and then uh the, the, um, they dug the clay out of the mold to create that void, that space. So once they dug the clay out of the mold, we could then uh, melt the glass into and it. And what age were these students? They were, if I remember, I think they were like uh, middle, like like late middle school. Middle school is tough, man. I've got a, I've got a <laughs> sixth grader right now. I feel like I'm more prepared because I taught middle school. So how did you um, feel about working with that age group? Was it some? I mean, they were great. They were so like enamored with the environment of the glass studio. Okay. It's a really fast-paced kind of uh, interesting place with a lot going on. Uh, and then the just the material, the glass is a seductive material. And I remember just uh, the, the point where they got to pick out the colors that they wanted in their castings and. Um, you know, I think they were they were great actually. Yeah. They were just really, really. I guess, I guess it's a lot more fun because it's like a field <laughs> trip for them. They're out of their regular school environment. Mm-hmm. And like I said, my son is the reason I know about the Blown Away Show. He's a, he's middle schooler and he's super into glass. It's also scary, yeah. you know, which I think it <laughs> yeah. was like you know I think they were on they were on guard. You know, they were sort of on good behavior good. because <laughs> because yeah. the environment is really foreign. You know, there's equipment everywhere. There's fire. I would be petrified to work with middle. <laughs> schoolers near fire like I mean it could go horribly wrong yeah. really quickly we had to keep an eye on everybody yeah. um it, you know I, I don't think they they were we were, they weren't in the hot shop area they were in what was uh, at the time the flat shop so they, they were sort of away from the furnace and everything so you how did you end up going to school upstate Oh, well, Alfred was always on my uh, list for graduate school if I were, were able to go there. Uh, I had a short list of graduate programs that would offer glass as a material, but also um, I knew that I wanted to study sculpture um, and understand sculpture um, in a way that uh, maybe I hadn't because I'd been in environments that were mostly... Um, well, I don't want to say mostly, but I would say, you know, definitely an, an undergraduate, um, my undergraduate experience was a mixture of students who really wanted to just focus on the craft aspects of glass, right. you know, thinking about function and utility and design. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was also a really strong part of the conversation at Urban Glass. You know, I would say um, primarily at least the work that was selling um, and people were producing to make a living was um, focused in function, design, utility. Um, so, uh, and, and I, like I said earlier, the impetus for graduate school in addition to teaching was just that I felt that my practice had sort of come to a point. And a part of that, um, that block that I was experiencing, I think, had to do with um, uh, lack of uh, context and understanding in terms of my work in the, within the discipline of sculpture. So you wanted to move into a more conceptual yes. direction yes. after you had clearly mastered the craft aspect. I don't know if I ever mastered it. No. Um, I, don't, I really don't. Um, I don't know uh, if I believe in mastery um, as, a, as a thing. But. but, you know, I think it's like... Uh, it's like what I was talking about yesterday about the mostly fine. I yeah. mean, you had mastered it to a point where you had a facility with the materials. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe master is, a, you know, it's a lot, a big word to take on. But what I mean is like you really knew what to do with all the materials at hand. Yeah. Um, so the the program at Alfred was a sculpture program. It was so glass and sculpture at Alfred. I think it's the only. Uh, program that's like this um, mm-hmm. in the country. It, 
Um, it is um, sculpture dimensional studies slash glass. So it's a, uh, it offers a conversation that's centered on sculpture, um, theory related to sculpture, um, ideas um, that are specific to sculpture, while also allowing for um, you know, students to work on that in that periphery, that like sort of liminal place between the two disciplines, but thinking about design and function and how that can operate on a conceptual level, mm -hmm. you know, and like sort of be in both worlds. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was it was a really interesting place to be, and it um, it allowed me to, um, I think, uh, take my practice to that place that I wanted to go. Was it a, I mean, were there a lot of people in the program? It was, um, so in the, so the way that they do it, or that they, they did it at the time was um, for our seminar classes and our theory classes, um, art history uh, somewhat, uh, we were with a, um, the cohort of all the graduate students. So graduate students in ceramics, as well as sculpture, as well as um, new media, um, expanded media, um, and so uh, it was. Um, it was a cohort, and then we would be sort of divided up into um, our own little media areas. So I think I, I came into the program with two other graduate students in glass slash material studies, and then there were uh, two other uh, artists who just identified as sculptors, mixed media sculptors. So the five of us were in this sort of sculpture cohort but often we would be in these classes with everybody you know so um, and I benefited from that from um, uh, the ceramics program at Alfred um, ended up becoming uh, huge for me in terms of understanding um, how that material is analogous to glass in certain terms of conversations that occur um, but also just uh, clay as a material um, I started to explore while I was at Alfred because I was so inspired by uh, the work that was happening in that program and the artists that I was meeting and talking to. Um, and it's still, clay is now still really um, important in my practice. Yeah, so I'm looking around your studio right now and I'm, I'm thinking this is a good point to segue into talking about the current work that you're doing. So I can see, um, I, I don't know what these things are made <laughs> out of that are in front of us, but like if I just looked around, I would, think that you were a ceramics person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to maybe give us an overview of what you've got in your studio here and explain to me and to the people that are listening like what types of objects we're seeing here. Like what, how are these things made? You've got some arranged on the table in front of us that are um, some of them looking like kind of broken fragments to me of maybe some kind of pottery with the one of them has some stuff that looks like wool or hair coming out of it. Um, why don't we start with those pieces? What are these made out of? So these are, um, the, this grouping is um, slip cast uh, porcelain. Uh, so um, all mold making techniques using plaster molds. Uh, and then the, um, the fiber uh, sort of wool is a, is a recent addition because I've been spending the summer working on um, textiles and thinking about textiles a lot. Again, I feel like I've come uh -huh, full, full circle. circle a little bit. Yeah. Do you do needle felting? Yes. Yes, yeah. I love that. I'm really, that's funny you mentioned that because it's like I, I discovered it last spring uh, and I've been uh, really into it ever since. I, I showed it to my um, uh, advanced sculpture students and they ended up like there was one project where everyone just ended up needle felting. We had like all, everything was, uh, every single project was, had involved needle felting some way. So. I love it too. It's so versatile. Yeah. Um, I used to, I did a painting out of needle felting one time. It's just like, you can do anything with it. It can be 3D, it can be 2D, it can be very loose. Like you have it here, it's not, this isn't needle felting. No, this, this is just is sort just, of the raw material. This is the raw material. Yeah. Roving, is yep. it? Yeah, yeah wool roving. Yeah. Um, so these, the, you, you, I noticed you referred to this as a grouping. Um, that's important to you, the way that the objects are grouped. Yes. Could you talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I think uh, as a mold maker caster, um, I'm always thinking about sequences of objects and thinking about repetition of objects. And um, 
the arrangement of things uh, and the way that one object relates to another has been important to me for a long time, I think. Um, so um, I think objects all, all offer individually something um, to a conversation, uh, but it's often as a collective, um, they come to be sort of uh, greater than uh, the sum of their parts in terms of uh, conceptually what it could mean. So in this case, um, the fragments are um, important, I think, to me in terms of communicating fragility, um, uh, even sort of an ephemeral quality. There's, there's um, maybe a question in these objects about if they're finished or if they've been broken. Um, you know, um, there's the thing about clay, and actually glass is similar, um, textiles is similar. They all, the material sort of has a memory. It sort of um, has a sense of, um, it carries with it what's been done, um, what's happened to the material. So, um, yeah, I think I've been really interested in how thin can I cast porcelain? At what point does it break? Um, what does it mean to like discard something that's broken or to keep something that's broken? Um, how, how does that feed into the work? And so uh, I'm very interested in this one with this texture here. What did you use to create that texture? This is um, a cast taken from a uh, milk glass um, sort of goblet form, mm -hmm. um, sort of traditional American pressed glass. Um, you know, something that you would see, something that I saw often at like my grandmother's house or my mother's house. Um, so that, you know, so the, it has sort of a reference to that, um, but it's, it's a, you know, obviously it's a fragment, so it's not really. So that's interesting because that's exactly how I read it. I, I was immediately like, oh, this is a, this is something that I would have seen in my grandmother's house. My mom is super into milk glass. Yeah. Um, I have milk glass coffee cups in my kitchen and I'm very interested in it as well. Do, but I, that was the only piece here that I really recognized in that way. Do, what about this one here? It's got kind of a loose, um, looks almost like a pinched handmade texture mm -hmm. to it. Is that what that is or it, did? So this is an altered form um, taken from a, um, just like your standard red Solo cup. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is a form that was taken, the cast, the original mold was taken from um, sort of that throwaway red Solo cup uh, and, then, um, and then just overly touched, mm. um, which, you know, I, I think I asked a question at the panel yesterday about touch and the body it's, mm -hmm. and it's a, it was a question that's totally uh, tied into my own interest in my practice because mm -hmm. you know touch and in things that um, reference touch or have been overly touched um, is some it's just something that I'm, I'm thinking a lot about um, and it's probably related to my experience of parenting that's interesting um, and I've been uh, I see a lot of overlap in our work although it doesn't look alike at, at all like the conceptually I actually have red solo cups uh, in my past two installations. Um, of course, I live in a college town and they're, they are yeah. littered all over the place. Yeah. And they're fascinating. I mean, the way that they are, like they signify party, mm. but they also are one-time use objects. And for you to like take this time to then like keep kind of caressing it with your hands and like make it into something more permanent is a very interesting idea. Um, and it's also interesting for me to have, like, in the same grouping, something that was made from a solo cup, something that was made from something that looked like it might be in your grandmother's house. And what, what about these other objects here? Yeah, so, um, and yeah, I, you're exactly, that's exactly um, uh, correct. And, like, thinking about high and low, too, like, sort of, like, what's, what's prized and what, or what would we keep forever and what would we immediately discard. Yes. Um, this is an a object that's taken from in egg holder uh, oh. mold of a sort of this fancy um, uh, holding an egg. <laughs> now it's got like a Dr. Seuss quality because it's got this yellow wool roving coming out like it's out of its, I don't know, it's like ears with fur coming out of them. Yeah, yeah, and then the hair, the like fur um, combined with ceramic is sort of new to me, and I'm not 100% sure uh, what's happening with that. But um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely, um, you know. Uh, so that's it. That's from an egg timer. What are these other pieces from? This is from. Uh, this is also actually another fragment from the solo cup. This is the bottom. Oh, okay. Uh, and this 
is from a, um, a f an altered Dix like a Dixie cup, um, like one of the smaller uh, versions versions of a Dixie cup that I then poured. Um, I have a collection. Well, not a collection. It's like a supply of uh, glass road beads. It's the type of um, beads that would you would put on a, a, a highway to that are, are sort of reflective. Right. Um, so I poured those sort of into the interior of the cup and then poured plaster into that to get this texture that's on the surface. And the last piece over here, can I pick it up? Yes. Oh, it has uh, holes in the side of it uh, to thread string through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is like a waxed linen string. Um, and then um, this is really going back to older, much older work that I was making when I was working at the glass studio. Um, and it was work that involved um, found ceramic objects and then drilling through them with a Dremel tool uh, and then sort of inserting um, objects into the holes. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I recently started, you know, sort of fairly recently in the last couple of years, started casting these porcelain forms. And I thought, well, um, you're returning to the uh, punching the holes into the material and then perhaps like sewing through um, the objects as you know, um, as it, it could be interesting. So these are all grouped together, and then you have these uh, other pieces on the table in front of us that are very different. Um, are these? This is a piece in progress here. Is that what? What is happening with this one? This one, yeah. This is about halfway finished. Um, so. Um, I'll take some pictures of these yeah. before we leave and put them on the website so people can look at them while we're talking. Yeah, this this is a um, will be uh, another slip cast form. Um, it's it's gone through so many iterations that I don't even quite remember where it where it started in terms of the original form that I took the cast from. Mm -hmm. um, I know that it's been covered with rubber several times, plaster, and then. Uh, a mold has been made of it from there so it's like so it's so many iterations away from the original um, but um, each time it became more flesh-like and more um, uh, sort of ambiguous in terms of what it what it is or what it was so now it's a kind of peach uh, color a little bit more peachy than actual skin and this is silicone that mm -hmm. we're looking at. Yes. And then the, that's the plaster cast around it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I noticed these are, are these finished pieces over here? This, yeah, so this is a finished piece. Um, and it's, uh, let's move these guys. Yeah. This was uh, a mold taken from a, a planter. Um, like for uh, planting house plants, <laughs> um, and then uh, you know layered rubber, pigmented rubber. Um, one of my favorite things about this one is that it kind of. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> a great sound effect for the podcast. Yeah. She just pushed down on the top of it. It's like a dome, um, and when you push down on it, it starts moving around uh, as the air is trying to escape. That's very interesting. Oh, wow. And then it <laughs> pops back up into the dome shape. It's like a half egg, kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is, the this is the same kind of fleshy colors. And are you still thinking about the body with these? Like, and you mentioned your daughter, who's like two and a half. Yeah. You get very bodily with uh, dealing with young children. Um, Do you want to be more specific about, like, do you have something in mind when you're doing that shape, or are you just thinking about general? You know, I um, I had a show last year um, at the Appalachian Center for Crafts. It's called Building Bodies, and it was the work that I made kind of in response to um, my experience of, uh, you know, my new sort of transition into motherhood. Um, and a lot of the work had a sort of quality of either being sort of created or in, um, re you know, like um, 
transitional quality. So um, it was either sort of coming apart or being built up. Um, there was a question about, um, yeah, so for example, this piece in front of me, it's, you know, it, um, I covered it in rubber, uh, this form, and then began to sort of dissect it and peel it away to sort of reveal uh, what's inside. So there was definitely something happening with all of that work that related to, um, you know, experience of like interior and exterior um, structure and skin, um, the sort of peeling away, um, and all of that. Um, I think had a lot to do with um, some questions that I had uh, um, about my own body in terms of uh, my birth experience, but also uh, my daughter's body. You know, like her changing, growing body, and like. Um, who she will be, who she is now, um, and and so it's a lot, but it's it's sort of um, it related somewhat to uh, a show that I had in 2015 called Equal Parts mm-hmm. uh, at the packing plant here in Nashville, where the works were cited in such a way that um, there was questions about what was finished and what was unfinished. Um, they were uh, placed on a wor- on a work table in a space that was uh, unfinished. So there was um, it was le- you know it was a architecturally kind of unfinished. There was studs and uh, um, like insulation foam in the space. So there's uh, there was a lot of sort of a sense of um, creation, destruction, undoing. There's a lot of, so these are very colorful and a very feminine pink and fleshy tones compared to the first grouping that we looked at. They're all kind of white and gray. And uh, so these are much more fleshy as I think you just described them. I mean, after I asked you the question, I was like, maybe it has to do with milk or breastfeeding, like, you know, that kind of stuff when you're a new mother, especially as an artist, I found making that leap from constantly thinking about things in a conceptual like high art realm and then having to go to like breastfeeding a child is a very kind of animal uh you know it's a very different human experience and to have to kind of just juxtapose that kind of uh high order thinking with just this kind of basic activity that has to be suddenly done all the time that mm-hmm. you've never done before is a, a pretty jarring. Yeah. And it, and of course you're going to bring that thinking into those more kind of basic human activities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I you know, I, sometimes I would feel, and I, I think I, you know, I had some, um, postpartum, uh, anxiety. I, 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 I felt, I remember feeling very isolated postpartum and, um, there were times that I felt like, uh, like how am I ever going to make work again? Um, you know, how, uh, I felt so separate from, like those ideas, those my ideas around my practice and my work. Um, it was I was at a loss for them. They weren't. I wasn't sure how to connect to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. Um, I wasn't sure if motherhood was benefiting my practice in any way or that it ever would, to be honest. Right. Uh, I went through that same thing, and uh, hopefully in the end what happened to me will happen to you is that it did transform my practice um, in a way that beforehand I would have probably thought would have been a negative transformation, but it I now think has been very positive. Um, just because it just fundamentally uh, changed my view on a lot of things and the way that I was able to work. And so I had to make adjustments to fit into that. But yeah, I, I like this new direction. It seems very interesting to me and very thoughtful. I love the texture of this piece that's like kind of weird modules of like, I don't know, I want to call it like pussy or, you know, like they're, they're, uh, circular these little pieces that are on the in- interior that you've peeled away the exterior of this pink and peach and there's an interior that looks like lumps of coal mm-hmm. really it's like dark and porous like uh, volcanic rock yeah. in the middle it is there. volcanic is it rock. okay yeah. <laughs> it is yeah well. it is um, and yeah, uh, and then that was it, this was collected when I was on residency in Iceland. Um, oh, and it uh, because it's everywhere. It's like a part of you know. It's just a part of the landscape. Um, 
and um, it also has yeah it has this like formative quality to bubbling it. up from the surface and so are these like a hundred different rocks that you've put together how have you um joined those oh um hot glue oh good good so nothing, <laughs> good old hot glue nothing into ceramics or yeah, no yeah no just hot glue oh. uh, on a on a uh, armature form that's awesome um well what about this piece here i'll just like make sure we cover all the pieces yeah, that sure. you brought out to the table we're sitting in your studio space so there's a ton of work in here on shelves all around us and tools and there's a a stove over here with some kind of very uh i don't know specific process looking we've got a, a some scales some things that look like they're for boiling so there's all kinds of interesting stuff we could talk about in here but let's just cover what we've got on the table yeah i mean i i can talk i can briefly sort of that that's sort of textile working area oh, over there okay. because i have been um, working on collecting uh, native plants and using them to dye textiles this summer. It's fun. You see, I'm wearing my Aramot shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, got exposed. I was in their textiles residency and just got some exposure to this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating to me, and it plays into like a body of work that I'm thinking about right now. Um, that, that, that's sort of um, called Object is Other, mm-hmm. and thinking about using native plants or thinking about ideas about what it is to be native to a place or to a geography and then um, other you know the opposite of, of belonging um, so that that's uh, really new new stuff and I'm not it's sort of still very much in uh, and that's the fun formation. part of visiting <laughs> yeah. an artist studio is you get to see what they're doing next yeah, yeah. awesome but as far as um, the objects on the table this is a um, piece that was made uh, for that show called Building Bodies at the Appalachian Center for Craft. Uh, And it is a um, cast, a rubber cast of um, the underside of my foot. Oh. Um, And and, and it's been layered uh, several times um, to create a sort of undulating texture. Um, And uh, this was the original, this purple um, mold right here was the original mold. So essentially, um, casting wax onto this service and then layering wax onto this glass table and then pouring rubber over top of it. So, um, you know, this is, again, is like related to that whole body of work that had to do with um, uh, uh, pieces that sort of uh, appeared to be in motion or transitory, um, you know, in the process of uh, being made so cool yeah um, I have one more question for mm-hmm. you before we wrap it up I saw that you were project manager for Sharon Loudon oh, yeah um, is that when you were in Brooklyn that was when I was in Brooklyn I worked for Sharon um, on a, pro- a public art project uh, for the Cambridge Arts Council um, and it was uh, a wonderful experience. Um, she's amazing. And so <laughs> I see that she's going to be the keynote speaker at CCAC this year. Yeah. Did you have anything to do with that? I know that you know Christina Vogel. I do. I, uh, Christina and Katie. No, I had nothing to do with that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Christina uh, has been on the podcast before, and she's actually, uh, she recommended that I talk to you. Okay. So I was just checking out that connection. So are you going to go to CCAC? Yes. I'll be, at, actually, the, I'll, to, this year I will just uh, be an attendee. Um, hopefully Um, I know I've been back and forth about whether or not I'll go Um, I went last year as a as a panelist um, but I I decided this year I'll just go um, because usually when I'm a panelist I spend so much time uh, being nervous about my own talk that I don't get to thoroughly enjoy the the whole experience so this year I'm gonna go just enjoy the experience awesome well I'll see you there because I'll be there and thanks so much uh, Virginia for talking me and uh, having me in your studio today. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks again to Nashville artist Virginia Griswold for that really fun visit. You can find images of Virginia's studio with the works that we discussed on today's episode, as well as links to her website and other web resources related to our chat on the PG Keen page of my website at vivianliddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L. Virginia has multiple pieces of work in an upcoming exhibition called Skinny Dip at 
S-O-I-L, Soil Gallery in Seattle. That's all about artists exploring the idea of skin. That will be in the summer of 2020. And she also has a beautiful artist book called Voids that she gifted a copy of that book to me on my visit with her. It's really nice. And it's now available for purchase through Elephant Gallery in Nashville. I hope you will all check out her work online and give her a follow on social media to keep up with her evolving practice. Thanks for listening to Peachy Keen. The podcast is growing, and I really appreciate all of your support. Some folks have reached out to me as individuals to tell me what the podcast has meant to them, and I love hearing that it's having an impact in your lives and your work. And there are so many great women artists around the Southeast, and as you can tell by listening, I love getting to know them and their work and being able to share with all of you guys as well. I always welcome your individual feedback, but it would really be helpful if you want to support the podcast, if you could just leave a quick review on iTunes. That is one way that the podcast gets ranked and put out to the public. So the more reviews that we have, the more people will get to hear it. I recently went into iTunes and gave a review to Artist Mother Podcast, who I gave a shout out to at the beginning of this episode. You can put in any name that you would like. It's pretty anonymous and it only takes a minute, but it really does help people find the podcast. For our next few episodes, I'm going to be talking to some folks at the CCAT Conference, formerly the Southeastern College Art Conference, which is taking place in Chattanooga this October. Katie Hargrave and Christina Vogel, both former guests on PG Keen, are co-directing the conference this year and they have very graciously set up a room just for podcasting. So I'm super excited to take advantage of that. And I'm still finalizing my list of who I'll be speaking to. So if you or someone you know is going to be there, who you think would be great on the podcast, send me a message on the Peachy Keen Instagram page or email me using the contact page of VivianLiddell.com. Until then, I hope you're all having a lovely fall and that your days are peachy keen.